Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Skeptic Hangout, the place where we sit back, relax, and chit-chat about intriguing and sometimes controversial topics through the lens of skepticism. With us today is Richard Gilliver from Skeptic Takeout, Laura McGee from Unapologetically Me, and Richard Gill from the Yorkshire Atheist. Today, we are going to be talking about evolution. So, grab your English tea or your fat-free, no-foam, vanilla spice latte. And join us as we discuss our great, 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 great grandparents. A few times removed. This is episode 38, Evolution. Right, guys. So I'm what... excited about this episode. Are you? Do you tell yeah. why? Uh, a couple of reasons. One, because I think evolution is a really interesting topic to talk about, just generally, like the science of it. Uh, but also, I feel like I know at least something about it. So um, I'm, it's a minority. Oh, scrap this episode. We can't talk about things say. we actually know about. <laughs> it, it, it intrigued me in your introduction when you you were talking about. Uh, I can't remember the exact wording of the introduction, although we go through pretty much the same wording every week. Um, (laughs) When you're talking about things that are controversial, and that's the thing with evolution, it's It's not. It's pretty, but it is. But it's not not the science of it. And that's, people want you to, some people, some quarters, some minorities want you to think that it is controversial and it's not controversial at all. And, well, so it depends that's... on your on your definition of controversial, right? So people can make yeah. anything into a controversy. So it's controversial because there are people out there for whom this goes against their worldview or their narrative about the world and how it operates. And so it doesn't matter that the the science is so solid. It's probably one of the most solidly backed up scientific theories that we've got. You know, like the, there's so much in science that my, my tiny human brain cannot comprehend, like the infinities of the universe and the minutiae of subatomic particles and all of that lot. But evolution is one of those things where once you learn about it, it feels like it's just like, yeah, that completely makes sense. Like, I think the big scale evolution of, you know, like from sea creatures to land-based mammals and whatever, takes a few more jumps of the imagination to understand how that all works together. But when you talk about like, you know, I know that I've inherited qualities, physical qualities from both my parents and that has made me who I am. And then I will pass those qualities on to my offspring and they will pass them on to theirs. Like that's fundamentally what evolution is, isn't it? Like, so when you've got, and, and that whole idea of like survival of the fittest and natural selection and all of those all come together. So like you can understand how, well, if you've got um, some sea creature that lives at the bottom of the ocean where it's really dark, and then some of them are able to perceive light and some of them are not, the ones that are able to perceive light are probably more likely to spot a predator that's swimming along their way, and so they're more likely to survive and have children, so that more and more of that specific species will be able to perceive light. And then the ones that can perceive it slightly better than the ones who can perceive it slightly worse are more likely to survive. And suddenly you've got the complexity of the human eye, which, you know, millions of years later, um, I mean, human eyes are a bit rubbish anyway, so that was a shit example. But, I know, our eyes know, are not the best eyes out there. <laughs> no, no, no. But that's another uh, merch line, human eyes are shit. Um, <laughs> human but, eyes, not the best. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, it's those little changes all the time that yeah. make sense and that we see, even, you know, when we think about, farmers who are buying the bulls with the biggest muscles in order to get the um calves that they want for the next year's calving season or um you know people who grow apples who are you know mixing together and cross-pollinating different varieties of apple that get them the shiniest the sweetest types of apple like all of that is used day to day and is an example small scale of like the big picture of evolution those small things changing over time leading to speciation where 
you know, one animal suddenly can't breed with things that it was genetically related to in the past. And you have different species of all the different types on the earth. It's amazing and wonderful. And to me, at least, is completely intuitively sensible an explanation for what what we see in the world around us. Um, And it only seems controversial, like you say, when it specifically doesn't fit the narrative of the religious belief that someone has. I think it's it's artificially controversial. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, I think that, that I agree with with both of you that the science is really, really sound and that the more you learn about the science, the more easily understandable it is, and the more intuitive it is. Unlike, say, astrophysics, where like the more I learn about it, the more my mind is like, OK, I'm on vacation now. <laughs> like, oh, fuck this shit. I'm going to go watch some Scooby-Doo. Um, yeah. Did, did you, it, if you notice any holes in what I just explained, by the way, because I said a lot of things that. <laughs> no from, no not a lot of holes but like you did make me think of of one thing that um that is a, is a common claim is that um well what we see in evolution is like um we see genetic information getting lost or or um basically de-evolution that we don't see evolution we see de-evolution and then they point to things like dogs right and so now you have the idea of like um like a blind process versus a driven process, right? And so you have the the natural process that happens over (laughs) millions and millions of years, although it can happen over shorter periods. Um, But you have this like this incredibly grand natural phenomena. And then you have us breeding something like dogs, like say chihuahuas, for example, where, yeah, you're losing genetic material. You're not, you're not creating something new. You're not adding material into it. You're limiting it down to get exactly what you want, right? Like a fluffier dog, a bigger dog, a smaller dog something that's good for for hunting versus like guard guarding or um or whatever the case may be um like it's all to do with needs though isn't it as well so like just because something's evolving doesn't necessarily mean it's getting better it's it's better responding to its environment the needs of you know its environment or its food source you know if if there is a certain animal that was able to see in the past and now none of that animal can see well it's because they were probably in a situation in the past where being see being able to see was a valuable skill to have and now it doesn't matter so they have you know that hasn't been an advantageous way to you know appropriate and evolve in that certain direction yeah and i think like the 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 point that that i was trying to make is that it seems to me like the more directed evolution is the more genetic material is is quote-unquote lost right like so we in other words um People like to point towards the fact that we can control evolution and we can manufacture these changes as being like, well, see intelligence, like it takes intelligence to make it happen or sure it can happen when there's intelligence um, behind it. But it seems to me like when intelligence is behind it is when it gets the most donkered up. Right. Hugs like, are worse than wolves. Like we can say that factually. Yeah. <laughs> Hugs are worse than wolves. Um, yeah. They're they're certainly less <laughs> adapted to their to a natural environment, right? Like they they actually require human human um uh interaction in order to to basically survive, or else they end up like with mange or eaten or or killed or whatever. Yeah, no, I think that um we are breeding traits out of animals and plants in order to get a very specific outcome and great that we can do that i think that that actually really demonstrates evolution and how it works and demonstrates our mastery of it but i think that that phenomenon is used in the non-scientific community as sort of like a proof that evolution um, doesn't work and my whole thing like the the pushback that i have is a is proof that it does work because we're using it we're using the concepts of evolution in order to breed in and breed out these traits that we want but the fact that um, we are artificially doing it, not because of an environmental impact or because of um, any sort of pressure on the species, it's yeah. done artificially, then that's why the genetic material gets so messed up. Like you have certain breeds of dogs that are um, uh, susceptible to cancer or have hip issues when they reach a certain age or whatever, because we've taken what evolution has done and what evolution has built. And we've artificially introduced um, different, what do you call it? Like constraints, right? And under natural conditions, you know, those, those specific dogs would have died out and not been able to breed. And therefore we wouldn't see those, would we naturally? Or we, they wouldn't have come about to begin with. Like there just wouldn't yeah, be a yeah, chihuahua yeah. in nature. Like it doesn't, it's <laughs> the, the, 
the the balance required for a species to procreate and 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 survive, right? It's just not there in some of these these species that we've created. <laughs> I still can't get the image of there's fucking hundreds of pugs running through the forests of Romania. <laughs> <laughs> And now we see the mountain pug. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. So uh, regarding, you've both touched on some interesting points. Richard gave a good overview. Laura brought up a good point. I think my takeaway from uh, what you've both said, because I'm not overly uh, familiar with the, the science behind evolution, the, the point... I take away from what you've both just said is that evolution is constantly happening and the, the there isn't a point of pinnacle, a pinnacle point in any species. It is continuously evolving. And if you have a look back through time, there've been far, 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 more species that have died out than there have that have survived and gone on to evolve because it's not it's not a case of you know evolution is survival of the fittest and the strongest of each species move on to get better and better and better but a lot of these species just die out because they're not fit for the the environment they find themselves in whether it's, it's easy the, to i think think of Evolution is the process to get to today's final result of animals in the world yeah. and plants and what, you know, life. But like our current lineup isn't like the right answer to organisms. No, and, and what, yeah. what, what will happen in the future is exactly what's happened in the past, either through yeah. breeding, like Laura was talking about, or whether it be artificial or natural. Through, through breeding or through environmental circumstances, species will die species will die out and other species will continue and and of of those that continue it it might be the changes that occur to them adapting to their environment that allow them to continue so the human being of a million years time if it's if if we're still around might be a very different creature to the human being of now I think they've even done like thought experiments like that with um, different sci-fi movies and stuff where we encounter a species that we think is an alien species and it's super different from ourselves. And we end up finding out that it's us from the future. Um, that, that's actually one of the, uh, uh, the ideas that the uh, UFO kind of, when I say UFO, I mean the kind of believers in aliens visiting mm-hmm. earth uh, community actually as are the, these, these little great fellas that allegedly oh, visitors and techers and did sexual experiments on us in fun and interesting ways are in fact ourselves from the future. That's one of the uh, that's one of the, the kind of ideas out there in that community. That's a paradox, though. Well, I'm not... yeah. So, um, <laughs> but that that so that's that's sort of one of the things that's really hard to wrap people's minds around in terms of evolution is that you don't really see it from generation to generation. You see it. Over it doesn't happen to anyone. Like you are yeah. not evolving. I'm not evolving. We, well, we are evolving, but not at the rate that we become a whole new species. No, but like evolution never has or will happen to you. Lawless. Oh no, no. Yeah. Once I'm born, I'm the species I was born. It is generational, isn't it? It's between generations. Yeah. yeah and I think that that's something that, that it's hard for people to wrap their minds around is like, so the whole like who which came first the chicken or the egg argument um so if you think about like what did the chicken evolve from and we happen to know what the chicken evolved from because chickens are relatively new like when they became domesticated they used to be like wild fowl right and um i think they're related to something like the the chucker or something and i'm gonna be wrong but it's something similar to that like there are wild birds out there that are still pretty closely related to what what chickens came from but um there wasn't just an egg where it's like okay the the parent is this wild species and now the child is a chicken and they're totally different it's like small small changes over time so each generation if you look at like the the child and the parent there might be similarities and that parent and that parent similarities that parent and that parent similarities but then you go back like and you look at that that child over here and like a parent say you know like 50 or 100 back and there's now differences right only we're not just talking about 50 or 100 generations we're talking about 
thousands, if not millions of generations, right? So like the human species, we, we could say that like hundreds of generations back, we still look like humans. Like two million years ago, we were still hominids, right? So that change to what we would recognizably see as a human to what we would recognizably see as not human, it didn't happen over one generation. And there's not a point you can point to where you're like that, that was the generation where they are now human, right? And that's hard for people to comprehend. One of, obviously, we were talking about the controversial or non-controversial nature of evolution in terms of, you know, with reference to like various religious groups. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting to do with that, um, I'm a former member of the Church of England and the Church of England, in terms of its, you know, acceptance of scientific ideas is quite open and liberal to those ideas. So the Church of England's official stance is that, you know, Big Bang cosmology is correct and that evolution is correct because that's what scientists say happened. And so therefore, I mean, obviously God did it all, but, you know. But God did it through these different methods, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But one of the questions that I think that raises, which is really interesting, is at what point in humans' evolution towards current humanity, you know, from, you know, ape-like creatures, at what point were we suddenly humans with souls who were in favour with God? You know, like, at what point along that, that transition over millions of years from these furry animals to what we could class as people was god yeah. like yeah you're the guy <laughs> uh, because adam is what they would say right like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that dude <laughs> that's a nice name um but yeah because you know we don't think of for example of animals i say we like christian people for example don't often think of animals as having souls for example but humans as having souls and so you know when you think about it was there a generation of pre-human humans that didn't have a soul but then their children did have souls and therefore went to heaven or what you know and this sounds sort of not flippant but you know like it sounds like a on purpose sort of awkward question but if that was the process of things that's the sort of decision that god would have presumably had to have made along that way yeah you know what this this is this is something i don't think about whatsoever and i don't give a shit about particular just on the basis, and I don't want to be rude to anybody who does think like that, but I've I've never been religious, so I've never had that. I've never had to reconcile that. And when I look at religious texts, which I do a lot, I don't see anything like that within them. I see, you know, I'm, I'm looking at scholars, and the scholars aren't saying that, you know, the the early Hebrew people. Uh, believed that there was evolution. Those people are telling stories about what they actually believed yeah. happened and appropriating stories from other religious, uh, tribal groups who believe very similar things. And but I know, like, I've had like vicars and things say to me in terms of, you know, I do believe in evolution and the Big Bang, and I also just read the stories in in the Book of Hebrews as an explanation by people in the Bronze Age about what they thought God's ideas were and whatever else. And it's just a poetic, inspirational way of explaining the whys and wherefores of all of that lot, not the mechanics of the creation of the universe. But then it just begs that question all the time, doesn't it? Of Well, which bits are we classing as allegorical? Which bits are we classing as poetic? Which bits are we classing right. as literal? And The bits that are appropriate for the yeah. belief you hold at the time. Yeah, I was about saying, who is the arbiter of all this? Yeah. yeah. It sounds yeah. reasonable, doesn't it, on the face of it? You know, like, it depends oh, well, which <laughs> yeah. depends which religious group you want to be along of, and which thing you're trying to excuse. You know, I've I've yeah. literally had a, a conversation with someone. Uh, interestingly enough, it was the first time I met Kenny Lenny because we were both talking to this guy at the same time. Uh, uh, I was the, this guy I was speaking to of uh, uh, two three years probably. I've been I was in communication with him and. Uh, he was very much one of these kind of Christians who would say it's allegorical when it suited him to the point where the whole of Genesis was allegorical to him, apart from the first lines where God spoke things into existence, because that was important to what he believed. So that was literal. And then the rest of the text, which was written in exactly the same style as that was all allegorical because it suited him to be so 
And I think that that's why, and that's why I said earlier, I don't want to be dismissive of people who have that thing, but you know, I'm interested from a very kind of academic point of view about scripture and stuff. And sometimes people have to reconcile things within themselves about what they believe. And I've no problem with people doing that. That's up to them to, to, to do, to have that internal struggle if, if they're religious and they want to kind of try and find these answers within themselves. But that's not interesting to me because that is what it is. That's their internal struggle. And that frustrates me in conversation with these people because to me, it's, it's like watching someone. It's like watch, and again, I don't want to appear rude, but it's like watching a child learn about something for the first time when they believed something was different, mm-hmm. and you can see the cogs turning in the brain and, and the the like look of realization on the face. It's like watching that, but without the realization, and yeah. it, it's immensely frustrating it's to do. It, yeah, it's immensely frustrating as it's, it's, uh, someone with my interests. I've no problem with them believing that and reconciling that within themselves. That's up to them, but it's just frustrating from my point of view. So you bring up some thoughts with me that and I don't want to take away from the point you're making because I think it's a really, really good point. And um, but I'm going to take it like a sort of a different way. But um, as you were talking, I want you to. I and I appreciate that you've <laughs> probably been in that position well, it before was, that I was talking about. So. It was thought provoking though because it made me realize we're talking about evolution, but there's multiple forms of evolution, right? And there's multiple ways in which it happens. And one of the most fascinating for me is cultural evolution, right? And religion is a product or byproduct of cultural evolution, and it has changed. Even just pick randomly pick one religion. I know we talk a lot about Christianity, so we can we can stay away from that and just. It, randomly pick any other religion and you can see how it changes cultures and cultures change it and the survivability of it based on the environment that it's in, which is the minds of the people, right? So when you have a a religion that has remained relatively stable over thousands of years, you have an environment in which it's very secure in the minds of the people, not really challenged. There's nothing really threatening its survivability. But then when you start introducing new ideas, new scientific concepts, things that may disagree with that religion, now that religion is in an environment that's more hostile towards it and it needs to either um, die out, which many, many, many religions have done, FYI, right? Like we have hundreds and thousands, um, I say thousands because of all the sects of different kinds of religions out there, even today. Think of how many have died over thousands and thousands of years, like the majority of them. So just like the majority of species that have ever existed are already extinct, right? Um, So it's interesting as you guys are talking about the interplay between evolution and religion and how some religions have come to accept it, but then kind of work it into their narrative. And then you start talking about how individuals tend to internalize their religion and they, they pick and choose which parts of it work for them and don't work and what's true and what's allegory. You're basically talking about the evolution of religion, right? And it absolutely is because there's such a strong desire for it to survive. It is, changing more and more and more to where more and more religious people now are accepting evolution and accepting um the age of the universe and their well, likewise on the other side of that coin as well you know think about the televangelist mega churchy whatever like the theology that they're preaching will be so different to you know someone 50 years ago in the same area yeah might you know be appalled at the theology that's being preached now because it is meeting the needs and pressures of the time which like yeah everything you said completely matches the things we were saying before in terms of about you know evolution in organisms yeah yeah absolutely so i think it's kind of fascinating because we can talk about scientific evolution and how it works within um the animal kingdom or the we'll just call it the organic you know kingdom anything that's alive but it also happens in different ways like in you can talk about like the evolution of a, a galaxy or a star or something like that um but you can also talk about all these different forms of cultural evolution and that to me is what's most fascinating like I I like delving into biological evolution I think that's really neat and like uh, I could probably talk about that for hours then you get me on cultural evolution and that's that's where you're just gonna you're gonna completely like (sighs) I don't know it's it's where I could just spend hours and hours talking about or going over um 
how things have changed over time to the point where, and I guess the reason it's so important to me is because people today look at their religion or their culture or their traditions and they're like, this is how it's always been. It's like, oh yeah, since the seventies, right? <laughs> like, or, or since the early two thousands, right? We don't have that like scope of really just how different things are now from how they were in the past. We have this sort of sense that things have always been this way. Yeah, because the, th- the thing is, we we have relatively short lifespans. I mean, and if you have a look at like when I was, I was thinking about this the other day. I was, you know, thinking back to when I was ten years old. I was a child. I wasn't much older than my son is, uh, like literally a child, mm-hmm. and that was only thirty three years ago. And I've I've probably lived in all in all like probability the majority of my life now I've probably I've got probably got less time left than I had than I've had and it's it's nothing it's 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 really a blink of of an eye in the grand scheme of things even and I'm not talking about like in the scheme of things going back to the start the human species I'm I'm talking literally just back into human memory yeah I've got a friend who's 93 years old and he he was telling me about he's he told me countless times stories about when he was a child in the Second World War, and like that's like that's that's before most people like that that's within our living memory, and it's it seems so long ago if you have a right. look at the cultures from then, the practices from then, what people believed, what people you know the political beliefs, the religious beliefs of the time, it's a, it's almost a world away from where we are now. What was acceptable, what wasn't acceptable, it's almost an entirely different world. And yet that's within the memory of the lifetime of someone I know. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. And that's a lot of, it's funny you said that as you were talking, I (coughs) thought of this book I just recently read called um, Sharecropper's Wisdom. It's sort of a leadership book, um, but it was written by a general um, who his father was a sharecropper which is basically when they um abolished slavery but they needed to now pay the slaves they did this thing called sharecropping where it's like well you can still have your house and we'll we'll let you live on the property and we'll give you a small percentage of whatever money we make right and it was it was a way of paying them but he describes all the lessons he learned growing up as a poor black kid um whose father was a sharecropper and now he's a i think he's a two-star general and might be might be a little bit higher than that but um just everything that he learned in it me reading that book, I was like, I don't think about the fact that there are still people alive who remember and experience these things like that, that remember that kind of um, discrimination isn't the right word, like disparity between between yeah. black and white Americans. Right. Um, we like to pretend like all of that was like ancient history. Right. And um, yeah. Anyway, so it, I know it's a sort of a different topic. You're talking about World War II and I'm talking about like the end of slavery and, and sharecropping and stuff. But it is very interesting that we think about those things, even like women's suffrage as being like, well, that happened a long time ago. Like women yeah, have been yeah. allowed to vote for like ever. Right. <laughs> like, it, But no. It, but that's it, how we feel. That's what we, yeah. we do feel like. I, I remember when I was young, I don't when well, not when I was young, when my mom was young, she couldn't have a bank account. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. My grandma, same thing. Yeah, it's it's just it seems bizarre to us now, but it's like that that was the reality. But we don't think about that because we think about where the most most people think about where they've come from in their own lifetime and not much before that. I've got I've got vague memories of of what it was like living in the and and I lived all the way through the 80s. I lived through the entire decade. I was born in the 70s, Mm -hmm. but uh, I've 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 got memories of what it was like living in the 1980s. But they're kind of vague. They're yeah. not. They're, they're it was not formative like, years. It wasn't really. Yeah. yeah, they're not filled with like huge amounts of detail of culture and politics and religion and stuff. I don't know what that that kind of landscape was about. Uh, I've I've got like you know my overriding uh, memories are of things like uh, the Challenger disaster. Uh, the you know, and I know slightly after the this was slightly after the eighties, but the Berlin Wall coming down, those things are the the, the things that like stand Thing. out to me yeah. from for like from the political or the world stage. So it's and that's my memory. 
which is nothing. It's a blink. That's all it is. And then we've got so much culture coming from behind that. And we do have to step back and like look at things from the wider perspective for, you know, I think that's the same with, with like biological evolution as well, isn't it? Like, you know, it takes a lot of specimens found in the ground in order to, to build up that bigger picture of, you know, animals evolving from one to the other speciation uh, the divulgence of species into different branches of the animal and plant kingdoms and what have you. Um, it's that that bigger picture idea, which actually, even up until today and moving into the future, we're still building that picture. I love how you yeah. tied it back to um, biological evolution because I was I was going to I had it in my in my mind to do that. Um, yeah, I'm really glad you did that because we're about to head off to a commercial break. Um, but I did want to get back on to biological evolution. Um, but I, I think it's cool to kind of highlight what Jilliver was saying in terms of when you just have that slice of time, like if you just take a single slice of time, um, you sort of build this picture of like, this is how it was, right? But you don't have the before and the after and you don't have the context and stuff like that. And so that's true of both cultural and biological evolution, where all you have is like one moment, one little bitty bit of information, and you have to fit it in with with whatever else you come up with. Um, and you're right. It takes a plethora of information to finally build a picture. Um, yeah. So maybe we can, when we get back from commercial break, we can get more into how that works, but on the biological side versus the cultural side. Yeah. Okay, so what are we doing? Well, I, what are we doing? I don't know why I said that like that. <laughs> we are, I am going to be on the non-profits, which I love. I love being on the non-profits. And I, I don't know who I'm on with. I can't remember who I'm on with uh, this week. So it's going to be an adventure for me as well as for you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always Amplizing. The The last time I was on, I was on with that side, McGee. Uh, and and that was great fun. I always have great fun on the nonprofits. It's, it's, oh, I it, love it. It's um, it's 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 kind of like our show, but with like research. <laughs> That's what I was about to say, but we actually know like, what we're like our about. show, but informed. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like if we actually uh, did did some research, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a great show. It's a great show. It's a great crew. Everybody at the AC is great. Anyway, I love you know doing the stuff I do down there and. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be on there on Sunday, so catch that if you can, McGee. Fantastic. Um, I don't have anything coming up. Yeah, so we can just move right on along to our Facebook page. Our Facebook page is very good, in <laughs> conclusion. Uh, yeah, I talk about it a lot in various different ways, and I can't believe there are still more ways to explain the fact that you should go to our Facebook page, because this is episode 30, whatever, nearly 40, whatever, and I've, I've said basically exactly the same thing every week. So you've got it by now, folks. Go and join the Facebook group. Um, it's a great place to be to talk about things and share ideas and, uh, yeah, all that stuff. Uh, as well, um, if you go to our link tree, um, you'll find the top link is to our merch store um, where you can buy all of the Skeptic Hangout swag that you uh, that you want. Uh, we've got things such as our lovely faces on badges and funny sayings on hats. Um, so yeah, whatever you want there. <laughs> I, th- I thought we were going to have like a detailed description of many, many products. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's good stuff. You got to see it for yourself. You do. You do. <laughs> I pitched pins a thousand words and I, I've definitely probably said already a thousand. So I'll stop there. Awesome. All right, everyone back to the show. Okay, so before we went to commercial break, we were talking about um, kind of cultural evolution and how from anyone's specific perspective, you kind of have this like slice of history that like that's how it's always been, right? And um, we talked about the need for um, broader perspective in order to have like a bigger idea of how things were and and um, how things have changed over time and how recently they've changed versus oh, it's always been this way or it changed a long time ago. Like, oh no, that was just last generation. Um, 
So we wanted to tie that back into biological evolution and how, um, Gil, you had said something about like, if you just find a specimen in the ground, that's not good enough, right? Like you have to have multiple specimens in order to um, determine kind of where it fits in and, and how it evolved and what it's related to. So let's start talking about that a little bit. Yeah, no, I think it is for a long time, humans have found things in the ground, which they thought were interesting. Uh, but I guess it's at the point in history where we were able to effectively communicate with other humans at other places where we were able to actually piece together those jigsaw pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, you're absolutely right in terms of, you know, having, well, you're right in quoting me when I said <laughs> that just having one, you know, one specimen of something doesn't tell us anything at all. It says this is a thing that existed and we can see it here and you might be able to see some features of it. You might be able to see some specific characteristics of that one example of an organism. But yeah, you can't see those, the the patterns of things and the changes. And actually one of the big things that has enabled us to see more into that side of things is like DNA sampling of, of things. You know, we can see like what percentage of human DNA matches with the DNA of a cucumber or whatever. And, you know, some humans apparently seem to have more in common with a cucumber than others um but um yeah certainly it's it's not some like straight line from the before and the after the finished product it's yeah it's more complicated yeah so things like um i remember when i was religious hearing something about the missing link right like well where's the bones that show us the transition between ape and human or monkey and human. What I'm trying to say is like a lot of people still think like, well, there's no specific set of bones that are like, Hey, this, this one was a monkey or an ape or another primate. And this one's a human. And here's the, the set of bones that bridges. And what's interesting is we, we do. So first of all, there is no missing link. That is a huge misconception. Like, I don't know. There's a missing link. If you cover your eyes like this, and refuse to look in the direction and, and, and go la 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 pointing. with your ears yeah. yeah so what we have instead is just tons and tons and tons of examples of intermediate intermediary species i'm saying that word wrong i feel like um species that have either more ape-like or more primate-like features but some human or more human-like but but some primate like we do have a lot of species that sort of have these in-between features and we have a ton of them and we can actually show with the amount of um specimens that we have we can show not just our evolution back um to apes but we can also show um that it branched right there were other hominids which is like two-legged standing on your legs walking um rather than um walking on the hands and legs um species that co-evolved with us um like, uh, like at least Neander- two of which we interbred with yeah the, that would be the neanderthals, neanderthals and then the yeah. um denisovans i think were the other ones i can't remember yeah yeah the I think problem with right. not being prepared for these episodes is i forget a lot of labels and names and details and stuff that i could spin myself no I, I i do believe you're right i think yeah so um but there's there's also some that they that they don't see really close links between us and them so there's varying degrees of um relativity between us and these species and that is really really fascinating to me the idea that so many people still believe that we're missing the information we need to show that we came from primates um because it's it's there Um, and and on the opposite end of that people some some people with certain religious bents uh tend to uh use that new knowledge that there were multiple species of hominids to justify the bible for example where adam and eve had had their children and the you know Cain and abel married where, yeah, where the did the wives come from <laughs> that's one of the questions often asked and one of yeah. the excuses given is well we know there were different species so that's what, and that, that's one of the excuses. That's one of the post hoc rationalizations yeah. given by some, not all, but some 
religious people as to to try and justify those biblical accounts. This is really interesting to me because it shows. Oh, sorry, Gil, you can go ahead. No, no, no. You said you were interested. Well, I was just I was just going to say that, like, it really shows that when we're having a discussion about evolution as a topic, there really is no way of just talking about one or the other. They really are very interrelated because the more you talk about um, biological evolution, the more that the cultural beliefs and teachings and stuff get worked into it. And the more you talk about cultural evolution, the more you're, you need to look at biological evolution in order to sort of like understand it. Um, I think it's sort of fascinating that we can't get around, like when we talk about biological evolution, we can't get around our, our cultural, religious and scientific ideas and how those have evolved alongside our understanding of evolution. I was talking about how it goes back to the ideas we mentioned before in terms of, you know, you think of like earlier attempts in inverted commas of getting to modern humans as if we are the answer to the question, the final (laughs) finished product. No, we just haven't died out yet. They've already done that and it's not been our turn to do that yet. No, definitely. Um, It's interesting because right now like okay so you talk about an animal being adapted to its environment and we have discovered ways of bending and shaping the environment to our needs and adapting to our environment artificial ways like clothes and heating and cooling and air conditioning so it's kind of not surprising that as a species we're starting to sort of flood out all the other species right and we're starting to kind of um i I hate to say like take over like a bunch of locusts but um it it we are getting to the point where our evolution is not quite so dependent on what the the environment looks like. You know what I'm saying? Like we are artificially creating ways of like my skin is pale because I come from a race of people that lived up North. Right. But you put me up North now and I would die in like 32 seconds um, because I don't have the, the capacity to survive in harsh weather right now. Right. Um, Rub it in that you live in the desert and we live in the cold. No, I'm talking about like surviving, like survival. You guys have your heaters and stuff too, and your blankies and your below zero sleeping bags and all that stuff. Like we we have ways of dealing with our environment that sort of cuts off the the need for um, biological evolution. So what I'm saying is we're not the best, like in terms of our adaptability to our environments but we are right now the best at overcoming our environments, regardless of what they are, right? Like Evolution to look at modern human evolution in terms of, because we, like you said, because we don't have as many environmental pressures which focus evolution in, in, in the ways that it does in the wild for lots of species, you know, we don't have to adapt to our surroundings biologically. We just adapt with coats and stuff. Like it would be very interesting to think in what ways are humans evolving because, you know, you think, well, most humans, like, statistically have offspring. So it's not like we as a society say, oh, well, humans like this, we're not going to breed with them because of this specific characteristic. Like, most humans do have offspring. Mm -hmm. And so it'd be interesting to see, you know, which characteristics are we as a species losing or gaining or becoming more prevalent? You know, we talk about how like humans, generally speaking, seem to be becoming taller generation by generation, for example. Um, That's one sort of trend in in humans in sort of recent generations. But like, you know, what other ways are we evolving at the moment? I think it's interesting that, uh, and when when we're we're coming when we're talking about kind of I know we've we've kind of gone off it a little bit but something I can't remember what it was said but something you said kind of reminded me of this when we're talking about kind of the religious aspects of stuff and people religious ideas and and one of those in in the West or in the Christian ideal being monogamy mm-hmm. and what. I I heard somewhere a, a biologist speaking whose area this was a speciality of, I believe. So I'm not just talking shit that <laughs> uh, I've I've just heard some guy on the internet say. Right. This was a, a biologist whose whose area this this was a specific study of, and uh, apparently the human penis is actually made 
to both inject its own sperm and remove the sperm of the previous sexual partner. Of, yeah. of... Keep going. Go, 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 no, no, go, go, go. This is last, so last episode was the clitoris episode. This yes, this will be episode. semen. Oh, perfect. No, there's a substance, but not I'm all... so clipping so oh, over saying semen. Perfect. <laughs> Not all sperm are designed for inseminating eggs. Some sperm is designed to attack other men's sperm. So I think that that is fascinating. So you're right. We are biologically designed to compete with other mates, not just socially, like, oh, I'm the, the alpha male, but biologically through our sperm and stuff, which means women were having sex with multiple men. Um, and that their their sperm was having to compete for um, for fertilizing the egg. See, um, all I can imagine is two scientists in a room, two blokes scientists in a room, being like, "I bet my sperm could beat up your sperm." <laughs> There's <laughs> one way to find out: get the microscope out, guys. <laughs> the thing is, it is as well. If in in all seriousness, if 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 that is the case with the human penis and the sperm and everything, um. That must have been going on for quite some time for it to have evolved in that way. So when when you look at it, we're talking like anthropologically. Anthropologically. I'm great with words. You know I'm great with words. (laughs) A great orator. Um, uh, uh, It it must have been going on the majority of the human species, like as, as for the majority of time we've been around, relatively. So... All these ideas about kind of monogamy and 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 things like that, they're relatively new as far as a species goes. Oh yeah, which kind of, it ties involved those characteristics in the yeah, first place. I'm just yeah. I'm just thinking about what Laura said earlier about the the two kind of areas tying in really well together, and that's yeah. one very very good example about cultural evolution. Yeah. And kind of physical, biological evolution, how they really do gel very well together. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I think, like, especially in terms of what you're saying, like, okay, so now we've we've had predominantly monogamous um, cultures for a while now. Not all cultures are monogamous. I think that's very, very, very important yeah. to point out. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of the, so the industrialized, um, sort of more advanced world is predominantly monogamous and uh, we could talk cultural evolution wise why that is but that's not even really important it just is what it is but um you'll notice that like biologically we're still wired to compete and that just goes to show that like evolution doesn't always it doesn't happen automatically and it doesn't always change to adapt the person to be the most adapted to every single environment it, it happens when there's a pressure or a need to, or um, um, uh, like it's not just an advantage in having children. It's an advantage that, that um, God, what am I trying to say? Um, I'm not sure. There, there is such a thing as good enough, right? And if, if, if yeah. an evolutionary trait is good enough that, that that organism can pass its genes onto the next generation, like basically have children before dying, then it's not going to be removed um, from the evolutionary gene pool, right? So the fact that we have sperm that is designed to fight off other sperm, there's no need or pressure to eliminate that from our biology, right? Like it will probably remain in our biology indefinitely because there's no, there's no pressure to remove it. But our systems still work the way that our systems are wired. We are still fully capable of producing offspring prior to dying. Right. So there's no, um, evolutionary pressure, but that, that brings me to the next topic that I'd love to have you guys talk on a little bit. If you guys know anything about it, which is, um, how evolution actually works. Like, is it, is it a, um, is it an actual process or, or what? Cause I, 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 can, tell, I can tell you now that Richard's, Richard's He's off with his kitties. not going to be a natural <laughs> process of them not surviving much longer. One thing that I think is really... One thing that I think is really interesting, and it's not necessarily something you've just said, Laura, actually, so I'm, I might be divulging slightly. No, but, that's okay. 
Um, when we talk about evolution, we often talk about it as if evolution is an agent of action yeah. and change, yeah, that's um, which I think is interesting because we often talk about it as an opposite idea to a creator God who did this thing, you know, no, evolution did this. Or, um, and I think we've all possibly been um, uh, guilty of, of personifying evolution in that way or anthropomorphizing evolution when actually you know, it's just our way of describing a process of things that happen without some sort of guiding hand or agent. Um, I just thought I'd say that out loud before I forgot because I, it was something I was thinking about. No, that's exactly the point that I was trying to make because people yeah. have this perception that that evolution is sort of an active process. Like, oh, if yeah. an animal is put into an environment that is having a, a hard time surviving, something kicks in and happens and causes evolution to happen. And... um there is something to be said about gene expression and genes turning on and off, but in terms of actual evolution, it's quite different. So I was most of the time it's, it's, it's just accidents. So like, you know, when I was um, back when in 1990, when I was a sperm and egg, like when I was sort of first formed from those cells, like, yeah, my genes nowadays, my DNA was like created. Um, It came to be, but like it's not like i'm physically 50% my dad and 50% my mom right there's there's other stuff going on there as well you know genetic accidents happen and sometimes in animals you know it's like like you were saying like it's not like suddenly an animal decides oh maybe if i could see better i would be able to better protect myself from predators or maybe if my shell was a little thicker i'd be able to better defend against predators or whatever it is it's it's just sometimes they might accidentally just have a child whose shell was more resistant to temperature differences or whatever it is and they just happened to do better um and it's not a case of yeah like you say those you know those animals can't just decide to have thicker shells or slimier skin or whatever it is that they you know they need as that advantage um you know, you look at the variation within humanity. Mm-hmm. We've talked about how we don't have that evolutionary pressure in terms of our uh, environments or, you know, for mate selection to a certain degree. But, you know, there's a crazy amount of variation within humans. And you imagine every animal that's ever existed, there's that variation within those species as well. And some right. things just win out. And they went out because it helps them to survive. So that's what is so confusing about evolution if you don't really know how it actually works. And I had a really good example that I used to um, to show my kids. And that, that was on the cellular level, right? Like you have a cell with a slightly thicker cell membrane and a cell with a thinner cell membrane. And then it comes in contact with, say, some form of acid or, or another um, uh, like chemical, right? And that chemical touches the thinner cell wall and it dissolves the cell wall and that cell dies. Well, now that, that cell can't replicate. So now the thinner cell walled organism is dead prior to replication and doesn't have any offspring. And then you have the, the one with a thicker cell wall and it bumps up against that chemical and it's able to um, survive that chemical and it's able to, to continue to, to live. And then it splits and it turns into two cells. Well, now you have two cells with that thicker cell. And if a, a cell is born that just happens to have a thinner wall, it is more likely to get killed off prior to replication. And if a few survive replication, then they're still a part of that organism or species. Um, They're still a part of that population. But over hundreds, thousands, millions of years, they don't have the numbers to continue to survive, right? And so it, it really is elegantly simple, but incredibly complex because we we talk about it, like you said, in terms of anthropomorphism. It's an infinite number of tiny changes. Yeah. Or we should say like uncountable because I'm sure that like (laughs) a very big number, a large number. (laughs) One of the one of the issues that lots of people have with the idea of evolution is that idea of, but how did we get from there just being non living matter on Earth to suddenly there being organisms and things? Um, Jova, did you want to talk about that? Yeah, that 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 for me is is in where my, I mean as I said I, I know very little about the mechanisms of evolution itself so I couldn't really answer Laura's question anyway about how it works but um that evolution in kind of religious circles is very much often compared with kind of creation but of course 
evolution, and I think we mentioned this on the episode that we had Kenneth Leonard on when we were talking about creationism, evolution isn't the direct kind of thing to creationism. It, you know, the, you know, evolution is just how life changes. It's not how life began. And, you know, right. life had to begin in some way. And they're kind of, uh, the, I don't, I don't know if it's the leading. I don't want to say it's the leading, but certainly one of the uh, most popular kind of scientific ideas about how life began is abiogenesis. Uh, and that's, you know, the, like the, there was this primordial soup on, on, on Earth and, uh, and when when Earth was very different and it had a very different environment to what it's got today. And and life somehow came into being. And I think uh, that's very misunderstood by the kind of creationist crowd because, uh, and it's not a, it's not a proven uh, theory. It's still only a hypothesis. So, and, and again, that's something else that's jumped on quite a lot that, well, it's, it's not a theory. So how can it be true? You don't know it's true because it's not a theory yet. But <laughs> this, this, this soup was in the con, uh, the conditions to kind of fall life to form within it. And it wasn't just kind of pop into existence and, and from nothing. And there, there, was, there was so much time, so much time. The early Earth, we're, t- we're talking, how long was it? Something like a billion years, two billion years for this process to take place, it wasn't just an overnight process right. where where life just popped into existence. There was so much time for this this soup to form the correct kind of. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know the process, so I can't speak on it I, I, in any kind of technical way. But I, was it RNA that was formed first, yeah. and then which eventually formed into DNA? And there was so much time for these chemicals to actually form. And and make that, and there was there'll have, there'll have been so many failures along the way. Again, like we were saying about uh, how most of the species and things that lived on Earth have died out mm-hmm. uh, over time. It, I suspect this is the same thing. The the most of the attempts, not attempts, that makes it sound like it was guided. Most of most of the uh, opportunities for these things to happen didn't because well, so- there wasn't. Go on. Go ahead. No, no. Go was ahead cru- no, I was, I was really killing excited. it. I was, so, I was crucifying so you're, it anyway. You're talking about, you're talking about a couple different things. Um, first, you're talking about abiogenesis, which is just getting life from non-life. This is the word that we've kind of given it for that bridge between life and non-life, right? How do substances that aren't alive suddenly become alive? But then there's the whole theory of the primordial soup. And I think there's other theories out there too. That one might be the, the bigger one. Um, but what you're talking about is just chemical processes. So this is where it's really fascinating. Yeah. Everything kind of comes back down. That's to what process. I tried to say. That's what yeah. took me 10 minutes in a rear roundabout <laughs> way to <laughs> So you have like different chemicals in different environments, right? Like you might have the ocean and it has certain chemicals, but even within certain parts of the ocean, there's different chemicals. Um, so let's pretend this is just an idea that like you have like a pond and that's where this primordial soup was, just this tiny little contained pond which i don't think this is how it happened but just as an example right that pond has all kinds of different chemicals in it and they're going to react in different ways you have to get the right chemical reactions right just to get a simple molecule of of say like um like a um amino acid right amino acids aren't technically alive but they're they're the building blocks of proteins that become parts of our body and parts of our systems right like we need those proteins um as part of our as part of our chemical makeup um, so you have these little bits and pieces of little amino acids here and amino acids there, and then they they form together to form these other things. The odds of exactly the right chemicals coming together at exactly the right time have to be like mind boggling, right? Um, because they have to a exist within the same natural environment to begin with. Um, and of all the things that exist on our earth, most things don't create a chemical reaction that creates a an amino acid, right? And I think this is what you're trying to say, right? is that it, it takes the billions of years and it takes the changes in the environment and weather changes and weather patterns that move chemicals this way and that way in order to get the right combination of the right chemicals just to have an amino acid. And then you need enough of those around in the same place just to have 
like a, a compound, like an actual full protein, right? And then you need enough of those proteins in the same place just to get RNA. But what it really comes down to is just the, it's just a chemical reaction. It's just a chemical process. Just that and lots and lots and lots and, of time. And lots of time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's and, what we And when we're talking about billions of years, that's that sort of level of time that we find it difficult to comprehend, isn't it? Yeah. So I think it's something like to live a billion seconds is like, what, 31 and some odd years. I'm actually going to Google this. But um, a billion is an exceptionally large number that we I think take it's something granted. like a million seconds is like seven or eight days, but a billion seconds is 31 point something years. Yeah, I'm actually Googling it right now. One billion seconds in years. Here it is. Um, is 31.7 years. Okay, so um, that's just seconds. Now think of a billion years, right? Yeah. So it is kind of a mind-boggling number. And um, it, that, oh, God, what am I trying to say? Like a lot can happen in that amount of time. Yeah, you think about yeah. like to one person in one place how many possible things happen in even just a day compared to an entire planet over the course of a billion years. Like it's, yeah, there are And just this so is what we things. were saying earlier, isn't it, about the, the human being in our living memories not seem actually being that long. Yeah. And so we don't, we don't truly comprehend these huge numbers for what they actually are. Because they are mind, if you sat them down and thought about it, they are mind-boggling, bogglingly big. Yeah, which is why I think it's good to simplify it. Like what we were saying, like evolution, micro versus macro evolution. So macro evolution, which is changing, like the for example, it's it's what people would call like say changing from one species to another, right? Um, which is what we don't observe happening in real time. We don't necessarily observe the formation of a full new species in real time. Um, and it's because of those, those mind-bogglingly huge numbers, right? Like you need the thousands of generations. You need the, the thousands of years, millions of years. Um, you can have shorter evolutions, right? And we could get really into the weeds with that. But um, I think that that is where skepticism really kicks in with, with evolution and like not, not really understanding how it happens because you have to first be able to wrap your mind around the first you take this, what was a very simple, simple process, but then you have to push it out to such a long period of time and get, get to get each little tiny piece to come together, just a form of a cell. Right. And then you get those cells to replicate. So, um, yeah, I think that's where we, you lose like <laughs> the, a lot of people like that. That's where you get a lot of skepticism and a lot of, well, do you really know what you say, you know, about evolution? Cause yeah, yeah. you really have to comprehend those big numbers. Final thoughts. Uh, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase or even possibly steal from Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The famous uh, evolutionary biologist. <laughs> the famous, <laughs> yeah. Um, because the the t- t- a terms just sprung into my head, which really reminds me of Bob Ross, and it seems to fit very well with evolution. And that's happy little accidents. <gasps> oh, I love Bob Ross's happy little accidents. Yeah, and I I think that you know, the, 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 there's no intention behind it. There's no we we we're, we're happy little accidents. And one that's day, the middle name of two of my children. <laughs> 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 only two of them one, <laughs> only two one, of them one day we uh one day we're not going to be here anymore and that's fine because you know we like the majority of species that have ever lived will one day die out so let's do it best we can while we're here that's my final thought i like it it's very dark and deep and poetic <laughs> how depressing a way to end <laughs> I'm kind of sad now <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> my final thoughts were uh, specifically to do with sort of the subject matter but in a more sort of meta way uh, in terms of I'm just really thankful for the fact that I live in a country where on the whole this isn't a sort of contentious issue you know, the fact that it's taught in schools as scientific fact, I think is absolutely right. And um, 
yeah, I know that's not the case for everybody everywhere. Um, it, it, you know, being a proponent of scientific education does not mean that anyone is attacking religious freedoms and liberties or anything like that, because actually there is so much awe and wonder that can be gained from looking into these things, mm-hmm. uh, understanding them as, as well as we can, that it's it's just a shame when people don't have the opportunity to experience that. I really like the way you put that. Um, my my closing thought would just be um, sort of a reminder, but also sort of a, a, a challenge. Like we, we are here just three skeptics talking about a subject, right? So we never know where it's going to go. So our purpose isn't to teach what evolution is or all the, the nuances, but I think we were all kind of interested in it and we all kind of got into that a little bit. And I would love to do like even multiple shows breaking down how it actually works, but that's just not the scope of our, our show specifically. And um, so that's just kind of a reminder. Like we just kind of talk about whatever we want to talk about and it goes where it goes. But evolution is a very, very beautiful, very like lots of evidence for it. There's, there's a lot we do know about it. There's a lot we've observed like within our own lifetimes about it. So I would say if you're confused by evolution or, or how it works, um, get more into the weeds with it, do more research because it's very, very fascinating. And there's a lot to still be skeptical for, like what Jilliver was saying in terms of abiogenesis, which is different from evolution. But there's a lot we do know. So go find out what some of that stuff is. Go watch some videos or, or read some research papers or, or whatever you're, you're up for. But um, we, we are not the science educators. We're just the ones sitting around our desks talking about it. And so I just want to encourage everybody if, if they're curious to do more research and learn more themselves. Thank you too for the conversation and thank y'all for listening and we will catch you next time. In the meantime, we are Laura. Richard. And Richard, you've been watching Skeptic Hangout. Until next time. Keep questioning. Interrogate your beliefs. And please stay skeptical. Yes. Bye. Hurrah. <laughs> <laughs>